you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 46. Genesis 46. We'll get the house lights up here. And uh, yeah, so Genesis 46, we're continuing our detour series. Trust me, this is a, a, a test to a certain extent in my patience with this foot. Um, I, so I went through my CT scan last week and uh, I got a call yesterday, so I'm still waiting on the doc um, for those of you who... Hey, speaking of which, we have any, any kids interested in going into the medical field? I'm just like, I don't know if you realize that there's a nationwide shortage of, of doctors, and it's one of those things. And if you've been to the doctor lately, you probably know it. Uh, when I first called the doctor, I said, hey, I called the orthopedic place. I said, hey, I broke my foot. I need to see a doc. And they said, well, we can get you in in April. And I was like, pretty sure by then it's going to be like, fixed in some way, shape, or form. Maybe not correctly, but, but this is the reality of what's going on. But if you have your Bibles, Genesis 46, we've been talking about detours, right? Um, and we're going to, the next couple weeks, we're going to wrap up with this. But I want you to think about it this way. Today's sermon title is When God Calls Your Name, okay? And uh, we're going to read Genesis chapter 46. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. We're actually going to go through part of, of Genesis 47, so kind of going to highlight some of the key things. Most likely, or most of all, because uh, a lot of 46 is about the family uh, that left and went down to Egypt, kind of gives you the overview of all the kids and stuff. But I want you to keep in mind where we're at. 23 years ago, Joseph's brothers had showed up at the house with this bloody coat that their dad had given Joseph uh, to cover up them selling Joseph into slavery to the Midianites, the Ishmaelite traders, who then took him in, sold him again to Potiphar, um, and Potiphar became the ruler of Joseph. Joseph arose in, in Potiphar's house to second highest. Then Joseph was accused of, of raping uh, Potiphar's wife. He's thrown into prison. Then he's in prison for a few years, runs into these two guys, a baker and the, and the uh, candlestick maker, right? I mean, um, no, the baker and the, <laughs> the, the uh, yeah whatever. Cupbearer, sorry. <laughs> Candlestick maker, sorry. <laughs> Anyways, but in the midst of that, the, the, the cupbearer remembers, um, after he goes back and works for Pharaoh, he remembers the reality that Joseph had interpreted his dream because Pharaoh had had a bad dream and Pharaoh wanted to know what the dream meant. And so last week we looked at that. And we, we talked about how uh, Joseph is really a picture of who Jesus was or is, was to come, right? About salvation. And that most of the times we look at the stories in the Old Testament, we kind of put ourselves into that statement or into that picture and we think, well, we're Joseph. When the reality is you and I aren't Joseph, that Joseph is a picture of the salvation that Jesus would provide eventually, right? That Jesus is the bread of life and Joseph provides the grain for all of Egypt, as well as Canaan and, and Israel and things like that. So this week, we're going to be jumping into Genesis 46. Joseph has made himself known to his brothers, right? His brothers are going back to his father, and they tell his father. Matter of fact, if, uh, as you follow along, if you have your actual Bible or your, your, uh, the, the Bible on your phone, I'm going to start in actually verse 40, or chapter 45, just at the end, just to kind of paint the context or paint the picture of the context. Starting in verse 25 of chapter 45, it says, So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. Now imagine this, right? Imagine having to go back and tell your dad that everything that you have lived with for the last 23 years is a lie. 
Dad, we lied. Because they're now caught, right? Like, like the reality is here, they, like truth is going to be found out here. And so they go back, Dad, Joseph is alive. In fact, he's ruler of all of Egypt. Now you want to talk about having some bad thoughts. Like in my mind, if I had just sold my brother 23 years ago off to slavery, and now I've got to go back and tell my dad, hey, dad, psych, right? Like Joseph's alive. And not only is he alive, he's prospering to the point where he is the highest dude just below Pharaoh in all of Egypt. Like talk about tuck and tail, right? Like talk about of a little bit of humility that God is going to use here uh, to, 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 to really just bring Joseph's brothers down. But he says, in fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned and he did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive and I will go and see him before I die. Now, starting in verse, chapter 46, verse 1, this is where we're going to focus our time. So Israel sent out with all that was his and when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. They also took with them their livestock and their possessions they had acquired in Canaan. And Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt. He took with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons, his daughters and granddaughters, and all his offspring. You know, today we're talking about when God calls your name, and I really want you to think about it this way, that God has really called all of us by name, right? The Bible tells us very clearly He knows our name. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows the number of stars in the sky, and He has more passion and more compassion for you than anyone else, than, in, than all of everything else. That he loves us so much that he sent his son. And so what, as, we, as we get into this, we're going to kind of un, unpack this idea of what it means when God calls my name. Like, how do I, how do I live? What do I do? What, what's my response? How are things going to go? But listen, over the last 23 years, through God's providence and protection, Joseph has gone from being sold into slavery and being a slave to rising up to be Potiphar's house ruler and now Pharaoh's second in command. And one of the things that we have to begin to see in our lives is this, that no matter the detour that God takes you on, that God's going to see it through to fulfillment in order to accomplish everything that he has for you to do. Like most of us don't like detours. We, we've, we've talked about this consistently. And the reason we don't like detours is because it takes us off our intended path, right? When God says, listen, every detour is my intended path for you. And it's not always easy. 
It's not always easy to deal with that. Now, so, so now we're at this point where, where Jacob, Joseph's father, right? Remember, he was the deceiving one. He deceived his father from, from the blessing that was supposed to go to Esau. Jacob, Joseph's father, is now old. He's, he has kids. He has grandkids. He's, he's kind of given up after 23 years. Could you imagine being in Jacob's shoes? For 23 years, you've mourned the death of your son. And all of a sudden, your sons show up and tell you he's alive. Like, can you, can you imagine? Like, that's why I wanted to jump back and read chapter 45, just that end, because it says his heart was revived. Now, listen, I, I, I can't speak from someone who has lost a son or a daughter. I can speak from somebody who's lost a dad. But all I can imagine is how Jacob feels at this point in time in his life, when he finds out his son, his dearly loved son, the son he loved the most, honestly, out of all of them is alive. And his heart gets a new, a new rhythm, a new beat, new excitement, new hope, new expectation, because Joseph is alive. Now for us, we want to paint ourselves into this picture and we want to think about what's going on, but here's what I want us to know, that life is full of many twists and turns, many changes in circumstances, um, and, and that goes on in Joseph's life as well. But it also goes on in the lives of his brothers and his family. As a matter of fact, as we continue on, and we're going to wrap this up next week, as we continue on through this detour series, you're going to see a number of things. Like God works through these detours to get Joseph where he's going to be at, right? But as we know, based upon the story that there's a point in time when Joseph eventually dies and all the people are in Egypt and they're enslaved to Egypt and the Egyptians hate him. Keep this in mind. The Egyptians love Joseph right now. But there's going to come a point in time where they hate him. They're going to hate the Jewish people who are in their land because they're in the best land. And so today we're going to kind of just jump into this. What's it mean when God calls my name? How do I respond? Because I believe this wholeheartedly, that God is determined to bless Israel because he is determined to bless the world through Jesus Christ. So God is showing his providence, God is showing his care, and God is showing the fulfillment of his promise to his people that he's going to see things through to the end. And I want you to know this today as you apply this to your life, that when God makes a promise, he's going to see it through to fulfillment, okay? Now, most of us know that God doesn't come and audibly speak to us in a dream and say, this is the promise I have for you. But listen, every promise of God's word that he lays out to his people, he said he's going to fulfill. And you and I can take that for granted. You and I can take that and put it into our hearts and know that God said what God promises, God is going to fulfill in the end. So your detours, while they do matter, while they can feel overwhelming, while they can be a burden, while they can create emotions inside of you that, that right now you may be like, I just don't know. That, I want you to know this, that God uses the detours to accomplish a bigger picture, to accomplish something even greater in your life. And listen, while we can sit back and say maybe we would change certain things, listen, God says I wouldn't change a thing. Why? Because I have something great 
in store for you. Listen, God has a plan, and his plan is his promise. That's today's big idea. If you remember anything, I want you to remember that, that God has a plan, and his plan is his promise. When God makes a promise, he's going to see it through to fulfillment. It's, an, it's, an, it's, it's, a, it's a given. It's an understanding. It doesn't change with changing circumstances. It doesn't change over generations. It doesn't change with different people. When God says he's going to do something, God's going to see it through to the fulfillment of whatever it is he promises. So when I bring up this idea of when God calls your name, I want to ask you this question. When God calls your name, when God speaks a promise to you through his word, when God reveals exactly what he's wanting to do in you and through you as a result of obedience to his word, are you going to listen when he calls your name? Because that's the reality that we all have to deal with. Do I listen to God when he calls my name? When God takes me on a detour, when God's leading me a certain direction. So we've talked a little bit just about, about Joseph and his detour, but we got to keep in mind the detour that's going to come up now as, as Joseph's father and all his family begins their detour journey from Canaan down into Egypt. So here's the big idea. I want you to keep this in mind, right? God has a plan and his plan is his promise. But I want to answer, I want to look at four main statements that I think we can see in this text, and we're going to jump into chapter 47 as well. Number one is this, when God calls your name, obey. When God calls you by name, you and I are called to obey. Listen again to what happens in verse 2 of chapter 46. And God spoke to Israel, that's Jacob, in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob. Now, I don't know about you, but when I heard my name twice, usually the second time wasn't good, right? Or if I heard it this way, Brian Michael Grout, uh-oh, I knew I was in trouble, right? Like when my mom dropped all three words, all three names, it was like, get up here. There is something that I have done wrong. At which point I was like, what could it be? I was such a good kid. I don't know, right? But listen, Jacob is having a dream at this point, And in the dream, God calls out to him twice. Jacob, Jacob. Calling Jacob's name twice is God's way of getting his attention. And I believe that that's one of those things that God oftentimes has to do in our lives, right? Sometimes maybe the first time is like, I didn't quite hear it. The second time, oh yeah, he's definitely calling me, right? You know what I'm talking about. I think, at least I think you do. Like, I know it. I, I know that when God has something for me, sometimes it takes just a little bit more to get through my thick skull, right? Through my hard will, my, my stubborn personality. And I believe that God is coming to Jacob because for 23 years, he has a certain thought in mind that his son is gone. And now he's revived by what's going on. But listen, God wants to reassure Jacob of his promises. Keep this in mind. When God calls Jacob by name, he is reassuring Jacob of the promise he made in the past to Abraham. If you know anything about Genesis chapter 12, in Genesis chapter 12, there's this beautiful 
promise, right? Where God comes to Abraham and he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless, I will bless people through you. This is, this is what's going to happen. And listen, he says, through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he's going to build a great nation. And it's important for us to keep this in mind because what we're going to see throughout the Old Testament is God's providence in working in the lives of his people to show that his promises will always be fulfilled. That God was going to lead his people into a promised land. And likewise, you and I have to understand that God's promise is going to be fulfilled. Why? Because he's going to lead us into his promised land, which is eternity with him, with Christ forever and ever. So listen, God, I want, I want, I want to, as I was digging into this, God called eight people by name twice in scripture. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Samuel, Martha, okay, Simon Peter, and then he says this, my God, my God, and then if you remember anything about Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? I believe all eight of those are very significant in this, that God revealed the promise that he had in store for his people through each one of those individuals. Keep this in mind, right? Abraham, he called him twice, right? Jacob, we just talked about it here. Moses, so he could lead the people out of slavery into salvation or into the promised land. Samuel, as Samuel's getting ready to appoint David, who would be the lineage of the Messiah, right? Martha, who, who sat at the feet of Jesus. Simon, who served under Jesus. My God, my God, right? When, when Jesus cries that out twice in, in the forsaking, what he said, why do you forsake me? And then Saul. Listen, all of these play a great picture, but when God calls your name, you and I are called to obey. And so you may sit back and say, well, God hasn't called my name, but please hear me out when I say this. Number one, I believe that God calls our name daily. Why? Because he shows us his goodness and his mercy through what he has made and how he has sustained you and what he is doing in and through you and how he is working in the midst of your detour. That God knows your name, and he's calling to you. And listen, you may be somebody today who says, you know, I'm kind of kicking the tires on this whole Jesus thing and stuff like that, but I want you to know this, that God is not done with you. God is not through with you. Matter of fact, I was bringing this up in the Believe uh, uh, class earlier today, but I, I think it's funny how God is such a personal God, and God loves us so much, and he shows us that. But then I'll have people say, if I show up at church, here's what's going to happen. Do you think God doesn't know? You think that all of a sudden the church building becomes the magnifying glass or the microscope through which God all of a sudden sees you? Like God knows you. God loves you. God cares for you. God has compassion for you. God is passionate for you. God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus. So listen, it's the beauty of this that when God calls your name, that when God's knocking on the door of your heart and he's calling you by name to follow him, what you have to do is obey. And that's what I love about what goes on because he says that God spoke to Israel in the vision at night and he said, Jacob, Jacob. And I love Jacob's response. What does Jacob say? Here I am. If you know anything about Samuel, Samuel was having dreams. Samuel, Samuel. Samuel will go running in, right? Hey, I'm right here. And 
Eli's like, what? what? I, I didn't call you. And then finally, Eli says, hey, go back and tell him. Next time, next time you hear him, call your name. Say, here I am. Every time that God calls us by name, if we answer with that same statement, here I am. And I, I, I want to even kind of lay this out just a little bit more and dig into this. In, in Exodus, or in Abraham, sorry, when we see this played out, this here I am statement, there are a number of times this plays out. Number one, in Genesis 22 with Abraham. God calls out to Abraham, he says, here I am. Jacob, he does it twice. In Genesis chapter 31, and then in Genesis chapter 46 with Jacob, he does it with Moses in Exodus chapter 3 when, when he's getting ready to send Moses in to Egypt. He does it with Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 3, and then he does it with this, with Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah's standing before the throne of God, and he sees a beautiful picture of what it's going to be like at the throne, and he says, who will go for me and who shall I send? And Isaiah says, here I am. You can send me. Listen, when God calls your name, he's calling us to obey. You and I need to have the here I am statement ready. That God, when God calls me by name, here I am, God. What is it you got for me? I'm ready for it, whatever that is. And I want to be very clear with this because when Saul took that here I am challenge, Saul said, God, here I am. Here's what it's going to be. Here's, here's what I'm going to do. It led Saul to the point of prison and eventual death. And there is for some reason in our mindset that when God says, hey, I'm calling you by name, that everything's going to be peachy. Everything's going to be easy. We're not going to have any problems. We're never going to face any more detours. That all of, it, all of life is going to be okay. And God says, listen, it's all just about obedience. Why? Because I got a bigger plan, a bigger picture in store for you. So keep this in mind. When God calls your name, obey. When God calls Brian Grout, I need to obey. These are beautiful pictures of what plays out. Here's number two that I believe we need to see from this text is this. Do not be afraid of where God leads. Let's be realistic here. And if we were in the room today, if God led you on a journey and just didn't tell you where he was going to lead you, how many of us would be afraid? And even when God tells you where to go, how many of us are free? Because listen to what happens. Verse 3, I am God, the God of your father, he said, do not be afraid. Why do you think God said, do not be afraid to Jacob? <laughs> yeah, right? What's his first response? Like, you just asked me to leave everything I have lived for, everything I have worked for. Matter of fact, if you go back and read the story of Jacob, when Jacob and Esau are finally restored, there's some beauty that takes place in the separation of their land. And Jacob is leaving everything that he has known as security, the blanket of, of provision and all of that. And he's going to go to a land that he knows nobody other than his son. Now keep this in mind too. His son has been in Egypt for 23 years. What's a father going to think? Well, what's he going to be like? Is he going to act like the Egyptians? Is he going to hate me? Right? We're, we're livestock people. We're, we're herders. We're people who raise animals and, and we take care of the flock and we're going to go down into Egypt. And listen, God tells him, do not be afraid. And that's what we have to begin to understand. We cannot be afraid of where God leads us. 
Matter of fact, I would venture to say that maybe there's somebody here in the room today that God's trying to lead you to go somewhere, to do something, and right now there's a little bit of fear, a little bit of hesitancy, some doubt, some worry. Why? Because God may be calling you to do something, and right now you're a little bit afraid about what He may be calling you to do. Let's be realistic. If God was to show up in your life, radically transform you like He did with Saul, and He told you to go somewhere, would you go? He told you to do something, would you do it? Or would you sit back like Moses at the time and say, well, I just, I stutter. I'm looking for every excuse under the sun to give you, God, not to give you the yes. Here I am. Do not be afraid of where God leads, because here's why. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, because listen to what he says, for I will make you into a great nation there. I'm going to point you right back to our main idea. God has a plan, and His plan is His promise. What was God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? That I'm going to make a great nation out of you. That out of you is going to come the Savior of the world. Out of you is going to come the future promised land that you're going to dwell in. Out of you is where I am going to do great and mighty things, things that people would not understand. And he says in verse 4, I will go down to Egypt with you and I will surely bring you back again and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Keep in mind, Jacob at this point is old. Matter of fact, it says later on when Jacob dies that he lived, I believe it was like 16 years in the land. I can't remember for sure with, with Joseph, but, and he died at 104 years. So, so Jacob's like in his 120s, right? Like I was joking around this week with my wife, and I said, man, if I live to be 100, we'll celebrate 75 years of marriage. And Sarah goes, I don't want to live that long. <laughs> and I was like, well, I kind of do. Like, but yet at the same time, I get it. Like, I'm like, oh, I don't know, man, 100 years, I... I can't even imagine. 2075, right? Like, I'm going to laugh at it all he wants, right? But, but like, think about it. Put, put it in your context. 100 years. 2111, right? For my youngest, right? I just think about that. It, it kind of blows your mind. But listen, he will always provide everything we need, and it will always require us to be obedient to follow his leadership. So when God leads us somewhere, we've got to follow. We've got to obey where he's leading us. Why? Because God has made provision for, for the Israelite people in Egypt. He's going to give them that provision while they're there. And then here's the beauty of it. He's going to eventually lead them into the promised land. But here's also what's crazy. If you know anything about the story of the Old Testament, like God is leading Jacob and all these people down into Egypt where here in a little while, as we get into the book of Exodus, you're going to find out real quick that the Egyptians hated him and they end up becoming slaves. Is that not a detour? Like God led me out of a land of famine that's been ravaged, that we have nothing, and he leads us down to Egypt where our son is going to provide. The Savior is going to be the provision that we need. But eventually, here's what's going to happen. They're going to be enslaved again. Now you'd be like, well, what the heck is God doing? God's just making another great example of how he is for all people. 
Here's the beauty of this. When he takes the Israelite people, the, the, the nation of Jacob, right, and he leads them down into there, I believe wholeheartedly that as we even look at the book of Exodus, that God is showing his goodness to the Egyptian people. And the Egyptian people are given a, a, a chance to respond. Just as later we see that when God uses Saul and sends Saul to the Gentiles, that God is saying, listen, I am for all people. It's not just Jewish people. It's not just the Israelites, but Jesus is for all people. Why? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Those are the beautiful things that play out. So we don't be afraid of where God leads. Why? Because where God leads us is where God wants us. Why? Because his plan, his plan is his promise. That he will never leave you nor forsake you. So listen, Jesus tells us this very clearly. He said, do not fear for I am with you, right? He's going to open doors that we never thought possible. He will lead us to our place of rest. He will calm our troubled minds. It doesn't matter what problems we are faced with. Why? Because God has promised what he is going to fulfill. So we never give up hope. Hope is the driving force that can keep us going even in times of great adversity. So keep in mind this, when God calls your name, obey. Don't be afraid of where God leads. Why? Because he says, I'm going to go with you. And listen, we can look at every promise under the sun, but the Bible is very clear that God said, I will never leave you. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to walk away. I'm not going to turn my back on you. Like even though you and I may turn our back on him, even though we may look and go, God, God, I don't get the big picture. I don't get the, the story. Listen, God says, I will never leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm never going to turn my back on you. As long as you continue to run a direction, I'm going to pursue after you. All you got to do is turn around. That when you and I are running from God, God is still pursuing you. God is still chasing you. God still longs for a relationship with you. All you've got to do is turn around. Here's the third thing I see. That God holds our future in his hands. Look at verses 28 through 30 in chapter 46. Now, i kind of give you an idea of what's gone on. As they begin to go down, they begin to travel down into Egypt, we get a story or we get the names of the sons of Israel and their descendants. So you can see who all is going down. And so we see Reuben. If you know anything about this, these are the 12 tribes of Israel. They're heading down into Egypt. This is what's going to come about as we get into Exodus and things like that. But then there comes this point where it says in verse 26, all those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were in his direct descendants, not counting his sons, wives, numbered 66 persons. With the two sons who had been born to Joseph in Egypt and the members of Jacob's family which went to Egypt, there were 70 in all. Keep in mind, that's not counting the wives. Now in verse 28, now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. And when they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and he wept for a long time. When I talk about this idea that God holds our future in his hands, it's important for us to understand what's going on. If you know anything about the region of Goshen, it's the fertile area in the Nile. It's kind of the delta of the Nile. It's where the, the, the best crops some of the best livestock were ever raised. And Pharaoh gives that area to Joseph and his family. 
Now, I want to keep this in mind because this will paint a big picture as you get into the book of Exodus of why the Egyptians hated him. In other words, let's just put it in this perspective. You gave the immigrants the best property. I don't like it. And here's what's funny. The Egyptian, or I mean the Israelite people prospered. They prospered so much because why? Because God held their future in their hands. Now, if you were to look at the history of this area, you can go back and see that the city of Ramesses was there. Matter of fact, for those of you who might be history buffs or history nuts, as you get into um, the crossing of the Red Sea, there are two possible dates. There's an early date and a late date. And if you were to look at that, you could say, hey, that when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, it was either Ramesses II or Amenhotep. For those of you who watched the movie The Mummy, you've heard of Amenhotep, all right? But I want you to see what's going on as God providentially works out the goodness of who he is and showing that, uh, that he holds everything, including their future, in his hands as he unleashes this. Matter of fact, the city that they most likely dwelled in, that region of Goshen, if you were to go over to Egypt right now, you would see some of the, the modern marvels, right? Like the, the tomb of Ramesses and the, the, the unbelievable statues that were created. But I want you to know that this, that Israel was not alone in Goshen. The Lord was with them. Why? Because we go back to the promise before. That God was with Israel. God was with Jacob in the land of Goshen. That we might sometimes be tempted to think that God has left us. However, like the descendants of Jacob, God will be with us in our time of trouble. So we can always rest on this, that God holds my future in his hands. Man, I begin to, I begin to get more and more convinced of this, that I make a mountain out of molehills a lot of times. I don't know how you feel like that. But I do. I make a big deal out of stupid stuff. Instead of enjoying the things that I know that I can rest assured in, that I can rest on the fact of who God is and what God wants to do, that God holds my future in my hands. Instead, I try, because of my control freak nature, want to try and control everything, right? So I make a mountain out of a molehill when the reality is that God holds my future in his hands and he's never going to leave me. He'll meet every need. He will fight in every battle. And listen, Jacob and his family settle in the best part of the land. Why? Because God held their future in his hands. And as you read Genesis into Exodus, you're going to be faced with this question day in and day out. God, why did you move them to Egypt and lead them right back into slavery? Because listen... God's plan is his promise. Like God says, it's more than just you. There are people I want to make myself known to. There are individuals that you're going to have come into contact with that I want to show my goodness and my grace. I want them to see my power and my presence and what goes on. So it's important for us to know, because listen, here's the fourth thing I want us to see, that God positions us in places according to his will. 
that when I'm going through a detour, God positions me in those places, in those detours, according to his will. And if you look at 47, chapter 47, verses 5 through 11, we can kind of slowly begin to unpack this, because here's what happens. Pharaoh goes to Joseph, and, and, and so Pharaoh says to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you, and the land of Egypt is before you. Think about this. All of Egypt is before Joseph. And before them. But he says to him, Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen. And here's what I love. Here's how you see that God positions us in places according to his will. Because here's what happens. And if you know any among them with special ability, put them in charge of my own livestock. <laughs> Are you serious? That'd be like the president of the United States coming to somebody whose like, son is a mechanic, and he's like, hey, man, I want him over all my car fleet. Like Pharaoh shows up, and he's like, hey, I know all your brothers are, 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 are herders. They're shepherds. If you know any among them. Like, in my mind, I kind of want to be like, I wonder who Joseph picked. Was it Reuben because he was the oldest? And keep in mind that Reuben didn't, didn't want to go along with the idea of what his brothers were saying. Who was it? We have no clue. And that really doesn't But I want us to get this, that God positions us in places to be according to his will. Sometimes things might happen in our lives that we can never fix ourselves. And this is when we need God most. And this is the reality. That God grants Joseph's brothers favor so that I believe they could be a blessing to the Egyptian people, to show them the goodness of God, to remember the promise of God, that God said, listen, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And keep in mind, this isn't just Jacob knowing it. This is, this is Jacob and all his kids being reminded of the promise that God had made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. That God will fulfill it. In other words, that God is going to position his people in places according to his will. So he has a bigger picture, a bigger plan at store. So it helps us. It helps us in our lives for us to know this, that when God positions you somewhere, that you may be in that very position because God has a bigger plan in store. Some of you might be right now in a position where you're like, I hate this job. I hate my boss, I can't stand the guy, or girl, lady, whatever. And maybe, maybe it's not your boss, maybe it's just your coworkers. But my question is, does God have you there for a reason? Has God placed you there so that you could be a person who speaks life to him? Who could be a person of compassion and grace to him? Who could be a person that points him to Jesus? See, when the right time comes, I believe this wholeheartedly, that God will execute and reveal his perfect will for us to follow. So listen, Joseph goes through a life of detours, and now he's going to lead his brothers and father and all of his family basically through a detour that in the end is going to lead to a detour called slavery that in the end leads to God's will of leading them into the promised land, that then leads to a detour called 40 years of wandering, 
before you get to the promised land, right? Do you get the big picture? Like, does it not almost seem like life is full of detours? That life is full of situations and circumstances that God says, listen, my plan is my promise. And my promise is my plan. Why? Because God's promises will always be fulfilled. That God's way will always come to fruition. That God has greater things in store. And listen, here's the beauty of it all. That God's promise was Jesus. That God's plan was his death on the cross. And his resurrection that would purchase our lives. That would buy us or redeem us from the sins that we so easily committed. That would offer us life. Even in the midst of the detours that we sometimes choose to, choose, to, to take on our own. When God calls your name, will you obey? Father, we thank you. For the goodness of your word, for the hope that we have, and for the promises that we know are secure. That God, whatever you promise, you will see, full, you will see through to the end. God, we thank you for your passion for us, your compassion to us in sending your son Jesus to die on the cross, to carry the weight and the burdens of our sins, to pay the ultimate price with his sacrifice, his shed blood, to go to the grave and to rise again, to offer us life. God, may we see that your will is exactly what you want to accomplish, that, that we have a greater purpose that you have a greater plan in store for us because we know your promise, your promises will be fulfilled, that you are faithful. So God, today we pray that we can experience your goodness, that we would respond with open hearts, that our here I am would be out there, that God, when you call us by name, we would obey and we would lay our here I am out. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.